Hello and welcome to Onto the Ball. We're back to dissect England going out of the World Cup um, at the hands of a very talented France team. It's the fallout, it's the aftermath, it's the hangover, whatever you want to call it. England just weren't good enough. Uh, before we get into it, if you're new to the channel, please remember to hit that subscribe button down there. Down there, that's it, down there. Um, down there. <laughs> you found it. <laughs> it is actually it's it's up there. There you go. <laughs> Hit that subscribe button up there. Um I'm joined tonight by Travis Morgan. James OB can't make it, he's busy. Um oh, yeah. so this is it, Travis. All this worry about Qatar, the World Cup, the heat, the the bribery, should we say, the the backhanders, mm. set blatter, the debacle. You got any other negative superlatives to throw at it because it's, <laughs> it's pretty much it's over. Yeah, it's over. It's over. It's certainly over for England, isn't it? Um, i got to admit, like, um, we come on a stream a couple of days ago saying we're going to pretend to care about England as much as we do Liverpool and Man United, but I've got to admit, Saturday night, I was I was gutted. I was gutted. Maybe, yeah. I'd rather England just got patterned up 2-1 and... We went out, I'm calling it we now, because I've got this patriotic pang. <laughs> um, but yeah, Harry Kane's penalty, it just making me think what could have been. It was so close, yet so yeah. far, we went out with a whimper. The sh calling for Southgate's head now, they want him to walk, some people want him to stay. Give me your thoughts on it. What, what was your overriding feeling when yeah. England went out? Good evening. Um, yeah, it, it, it literally felt like a little bit of a trip down memory lane. Like, it was weird because as it was unfolding, and England were, especially in the second half when England were on top and not taking advantage of being on top, I thought, here we go again. It was just a case of you just knew what was sort of going to happen. We'd, we'd read the script so many times and you just felt after the game, people were going to cut come on and say that England can come away from this feeling proud and there's so many positives, which which there is. But, like, for me, there's got to be a fine balance between if you want to mix it with the big boys and the big boys being the Frances, I know Brazil has gone out, but the Brazils, the teams that win the World Cup regularly, I know Brazil haven't won it for a long time, but if you want to mix it with those, you've got to put yourself under that sort of pressure that you've got to meet that expectation when the, when the day comes. And especially as France weren't 100% at it and making mistakes at the back, there was, a, there was an opportunity, a huge opportunity for England to put themselves in the semi-final, put themselves in the driving seat against Morocco with the tails up. Imagine coming off the back of a French win, going into that Morocco game one step away from the final. The whole nation would have just been buzzing and it just felt like a little bit of a same old story feeling, do you know what I mean? England dominant in the second half, sucker punch, goal, came too late. And then you get the lifeline with the penalty, you think, Kane, surely there's one time where you cannot miss a penalty in your career and this is it. And he's just blazed it over the bar and he looked nervous approaching the ball. I'm sure we'll yeah. get into it in a minute. But yeah, it was a case of same old story and it did make you feel a little bit sick to the stomach. It was just a huge disappointment for everyone. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty glad that we didn't do a an instant match reaction Saturday night because obviously tempers are flaring and emotion takes over. But 
Mm. When I've slept on it for a couple of nights, yeah. I started thinking, you know what the English press are like, the media, the fans. If you think of Harry Kane, and I said Saturday night, he shouldn't have took that second penalty. And everyone mm. said it. It's against Hugo Lloris, who is his club teammate. He'd already yeah. took one. So Lloris would kind of know what, what side he favours. So it looked like he wasn't set. However, that's easy to say with hindsight. Yeah. You imagine Harry Kane, the captain of England. Imagine he thought, I tell you what, that's my club teammate. He kind of knows what way I like going. I'm going to step aside and let someone else take it. Can mm. you imagine that person that stepped in missed? Can you imagine the uproar with Harry Kane? They would have said he bottled it. They would have said he's no captain. They would have said he deserted his country. It would have been a hundred times worse than it is now. So he was pretty yeah. much in a he was in a no win situation, wasn't he? He had to step up. He had to take it. Hindsight doesn't matter now. He skied it over over the bar, and he's got to live with that for the rest of his life. Now he's going to be in absolute bits, especially playing for Spurs, knowing he's never going to win anything ever anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like it would have been unfair for him to put that pressure on another player unless they really wanted it. But a, a man like Harry Kane, it, that's his bread and butter. Like he, he would have been not thriving necessarily under the pressure, but that's what he does every day, week in, week out. For Spurs, whenever he takes one of his scores, and and I'm sure in training when he does take them against Lloris, he probably scores ninety nine percent of his penalties against Lloris. So I don't think it would have been necessary for him to give it to somebody else. What I would say is, like you said, in hindsight, and it's a beautiful thing afterwards, in his head, he probably should have went to another spot than the first spot, because I think it takes that element of risk out of it. You know, that sort of kidology, that reverse psychology, like he's going to go somewhere else. So naturally I'm going to go the same corner because he's probably thinking the same thing. So I think he probably should have went either opposite side or just smashed it straight down the middle. But like you said, he's splitting the hairs in terms of the hindsight. Like it's easy to say after he's missed it. He's just, like you said, he's come out and done an interview, not a lot, not an extensive one, but he came out after the game and just said his execution, He just it just didn't go right for him. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. He's done it lots of times before and he's scored lots of times and he was just so unfortunate that he's um that he's blazed it over at such a critical time for England. I think that knocked the stuffing out of everyone. I think oh, it was he, over, wasn't it? Yeah, it was over. Heartbreak. That, yeah, it was heartbreak. There was just I know there was the Rashford free kick at the end and things like that, but by that time, just everybody was just that that was the opportunity. As soon as that went, everyone knew it was sort of over. I bet the night before Harry Kane dreamed of having a decisive penalty in the last ten minutes. Um, mm. And then it obviously fell and he, he crumbled. He, he crumbled. Let's be honest. He crumbled. He must have yeah. tensed his body. Just thought, I'm going to close my eyes to a certain extent and just blast it down the middle. And he just got it all horribly wrong. But as you Probably. say, Harry Kane is one of the most accomplished penalty takers you'll ever find. Not yeah. just not just now, but ever. If you think of how many penalties he's smashed, he's got that beautiful whip where he whips it so much it hits the side netting giving keepers no chance. Um, and, you know, before, if we if time could have stood still, other than James Milner, who isn't in the England squad, would any yeah. England fan say, let's hold time still right now, 
let's get someone that no one would. Everybody would have wanted Harry Kane on that penalty to get his his second goal of the game. But again, it's all it's all buts and and what ifs. Um, I've seen a tweet today about the Qatari backed Paris Saint Germain owners. They've fixed it for Messi's Argentina and Mbappe's France to meet in the final. And it was yeah. when I read that, I thought, do you know what? There's been so many contentious calls. It, when you see it written down, you think, Jesus Christ, that it does, it probably has got a bit of... Um, that trip to it. Yeah. I but, went to see my mum over the weekend and I said to her, I think that they're gearing it up for Messi to win it. Like, I didn't yeah. like, I didn't really want to say it and you don't want to believe it. And But there are, there is match fixing that must go on in football. Oh, I don't 100%. know. What, yeah, I don't know what sort of scale it's on. It could be huge, it could be small. Um, but I I do think there's an element of everybody sort of wanting Messi to have this last hurrah. He deserves it. He's the best player of all time. He wants this World Cup and that. And like you said, it, he's getting man of the match every game. He's, he's certainly not been Argentina's best player in every game. I think in the Australia game, he did run that game. But apart from that, I think he's been on the periphery of games. He's had moments of magic where he's sort of turned the game um, with an incident or a moment. But in terms of consistency playing all the way through 90 minutes, he's got man of the match every week, every game. And I just don't know how he's been getting it. So there is an element of that for me, definitely. But yeah, going back to the the France-England game, I thought that England really did deal with Mbappe very well. I thought, mm. I thought they managed the Mbappe threat well. They were, they were positive to take out of the game, but I'm sure your next point is going to be coming on to Southgate, which we'll touch on, but I think the, um, he missed the trick with a couple of things which would have given England a better chance of getting victory in that game. Yeah, he definitely did. And obviously, anyone that watched our stream, the, the World Cup warm-up or the, the group um, review... We said in here, England have got gaffes in them. No one's won over by Jordan Pickford. You've got the centre-back pairing of Stones and Maguire. They're not pulling up any trees. They are nowhere mm. near the level of Varane and Upper Meccano, who didn't have the best game, as you pointed out. But that first goal, Pickford, for me, any other keeper gets that. A, little, yeah. a keeper with a bit more height, Alisson catches that. That big mm. uh, Dutch keeper we were talking about, Nopper, is it? Or Noppler? He was, he was yeah. six foot eight. He would have caught that. It was it's such a nice height as well, for for a bit of a TV save to to look great. Yeah. For me, Pickford messed up there big time. It wasn't even right in the corner. You could see the way his legs were set. He was just too too late to 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 push off push off from his legs. And because he hasn't got the height, and obviously from a Liverpool fan, we say he's got little T Rex arms. He should have saved that. And it's them moments. You're out of a, a whole World Cup for them moments. Yeah, and he, and he, he struck it to him many from a distance as well. It's not like he struck it from like yeah. 18 yards out. It, it, it's a good 25 yards. He, he should have seen it a lot earlier. Should have been a lot quicker with his feet. He doesn't move his feet very well. He's, he's, he's very, very instinctive. But 
Pickford, like the second, the save in the second half from the Giroud is a good reaction save. He's good at that. But anything from a distance, anything where he's got time to think, set himself, move his feet, he, he's not a very, very good keeper in that sense. I, I don't rate Pickford a great deal. I think, like you said, we said it before the tournament started, he has got mistakes in him. I think it isn't, a, it's not necessarily a glaring error, but he is struck it. But like you said, a top keeper does, does save that quite comfortably, I think. Yeah. Um, and and that sort of set the tone. I thought France started the game well up until the goal. They were really really impressive. They were moving the ball well. Griezmann again was making France tick. Um, and then after the goal, it was pretty much all England. Without really, it was it reminded me of like a boxing match. You know when Mayweather used to box and he was like winning on points and he was just so good like sort of defensively. That's what it reminded me of. Like England just throwing jabs, throwing jabs, but couldn't really get in. And they were wearing, wearing the boxer down, wearing the boxer down, but just didn't have that cutting edge or the quality to create enough clear-cut chances. And France sort of had England at arm's length, but there was a little 10-minute spell in the second half where they did look a little bit nervous after England equalised for about 10, 12 minutes where um, France looked very nervous, starting to give the ball away. They were getting frustrated. A couple of bookings were getting picked up. And I thought that was the opportunity then when I thought Southgate should have bought on somebody like Rashford to have a go at Upper Moncana when everything was a little bit unsettled. And I thought this was the time to go and win the game because he took Saka off, which I thought was a little bit strange because he won the penalty and was causing problems. But like you said, he wasn't. If he wanted to leave Foden on, I still would have bought on Rashford for one of the midfielders and just thought, right, this is. I'm smelling blood. Let's go for it. But he kept the midfielders on. He went mount like for like, and it just didn't quite work. It didn't. It didn't have the effect that he was probably hoping that it was going to have. Yeah, and you see that that's the thing where Southgate can can win, isn't it? Because. Half of the fan base are uh, slating him for not making changes early enough. The other half are slating him for taking Saka off. It's like he can't win. Um, yeah. He's trying to make the changes, trying to change the game, influence the game. But it, it, yeah. the fans will say it was the wrong the wrong change at the wrong time. Um, he can't win, but I, I was watching a talk sport thing and it, it was a Liverpool fan, but he was saying that Kane is three years past his best. And I did say at halftime on Saturday night, Kane, he is past his best. I don't know about three years past his best, but you know when you spoke about like Kane with Lewandowski, that world class peak striker. He's 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 past that now, and it's a shame that he's. I mean, he's only twenty nine. It's a shame that he just lost his peak at the time when you've got the likes of Saka. Foden, Bellingham coming through, and it's 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 timing is everything, isn't it? Especially in international yeah. football. Yeah. In terms of Kane, what do you know? When people are saying he's past his best, are they saying he's past his best in terms of like his overall impact on the game, or just as a goal threat? What what is it about Kane or not? I think it, it. They're talking about goal, the goal threat, and the stats. Because he's changed his game. He comes deeper a lot more, which come from Mourinho um, when he was at Spurs. He links the play really well. But I think the best way to try and describe it is that I'm not saying he wouldn't, never would have, but on Saturday night, he wouldn't have scored the goal Giroud did to win it. No. That's, I think that's the best way I can describe it. Um, it just didn't feel like he would have been in the right place at the right time. 
smelling that's the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, that brings us on to Giroud's winner. For me, Maguire was caught on the wrong side. And again, it falls in that bracket of we knew going into the tournament, Pickford isn't the best, Maguire isn't the best. And again, in them moments, that's cost England. He went to sleep just for a second. Giroud ghosted in front. And it was a great ball by Griezmann, like you say. Griezmann, is, he, he must be favourite for the player of the tournament so far, surely. More than Messi, yeah. anyway. Yeah. I think Griezmann's been player of the tournament, personally. I think he's just been unbelievable for France. Playing in that deeper role that he's not really normally accustomed to, but he's really adapted to it just perfectly. Just don't give the ball away. The range of passing as well, short passes, long passes, he's got the lot. And like you said, he's not afraid to put a foot in. He's been getting about putting tackles in. He literally is the complete sort of box-to-box midfielder for France. The thing about the goal is normally when when there's a set play or a cross and it gets headed out and you come out, it's about sort of knowing your players because when you played football like, like ourselves, just even at amateur levels or whatever, it depends who you're playing against. You can cheat a little bit. So obviously Maguire's come out as the ball's come out and not picked his man up and thought, oh, it's going to have to be a cross of pinpoint accuracy to really pick Giroud out. And Sod's law, it's a cross of pinpoint accuracy and picks Giroud out. And then he thought, oh, crap, I haven't got time to get back in. Do you know what I mean? Any other day, Griezmann, well, not necessarily Griezmann, but that cross, if that cross comes in another 10 times, he probably doesn't hit him again. Mm-hmm. It's that good a ball. Do you know what I mean? It, because... It's, it's not really, it's not even a crossing angle. He's quite deep and he's just whipped it dead flat across the face. It's just such an incredible cross. And that sometimes you can't take the credit away from the attackers sometimes. As much as it's Maguire's man, the cross is that good. Like, if he is touch tight, there's, do you know what I mean? It's a Terry Butcher moment. It's a clash of heads and blood everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Because it, you literally have to be head to head to really stop that from really going in. So, yes, I do think it's Maguire's fault. But at the same time, the cross is unbelievable. And like yeah, you said, it's it it a worldie. Yeah, you can't take that anything away from Griezmann there for sure. Um, mm. Obviously, all the talk now is Gareth Southgate. Should he stay or should yeah. he go? What camp are you in? Um, I'm not sure if England fans are, are crazy because England have got to a World Cup semi-final, a European final, and then gone into this World Cup with this kind of feeling that get past France and we could potentially win it. Are England fans starting to feel like they're the complete package and Southgate's holding them back? Or is it down to Southgate that England have done so well in the last four years? Are you Southgate in or out? I'm Southgate out, but not because I don't think he's done a good job. Let me explain what I mean. It might sound a bit weird to you. Southgate has done a a, a good job with, with the squad at his disposal and with his limited coaching ability. I don't know how much of the coaching he does, but in terms of his managerial club career, it, it doesn't pull up any trees. He's managed Middlesbrough, a couple of other clubs. He's obviously been with the FA a long time as well. I don't know if they've had that in mind for that natural transition from him to go from the FA into the manager's role. But well, don't get me wrong, I think he's done a good job. One of two things needs to happen. If England are going to be put in that echelon of clubs that are going to compete for the World Cup, then he's not the guy. 
or the expectations lowered for England? Because if England get into semi-finals and finals, is he overachieving? That's the question. Is this is that an overachievement? Because the next step is winning the tournament. But if you want to win the tournament, you've got to have that mentality, that elite mentality that allows you to win the tournament. Now, that comes from the manager. So if we are happy getting to semi-finals and quarter-finals, that's fine. Keep Southgate. It'll do it every tournament. So do you if think... Are you alluding to, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but are you yeah. alluding to Gareth Southgate hasn't got the CV to stand in that changing room and be like, we're winning this fucking thing? Mm. I don't think he has, personally, no. But the other side to the coin is, is would this squad, let's say in a, in a dream world, Pep Guardiola managed this squad, yeah? Would it win the World Cup? The answer is, it would have a damn sight better chance of winning it, wouldn't it? Like, you just put Pep Guardiola in those shoes of of Gareth Southgate, you would believe, as a fan, that they could go on to win the tournament, couldn't you? So then, Probably, so, yeah. Exactly. So so how can it not be Southgate? It, like, that's what I'm saying. It, it's not, it doesn't deserve pelters, like, oh, my God, it's his fault, bomb him out. It's not to that degree. What I'm saying is, it's like I, I, I had this conversation with somebody and I, and I sort of related it to Liverpool. When you had Brendan Rodgers, he finished second. And he probably would finish in the top four every single time at Liverpool with the squad that he had, with the players he had, etc. But when Jurgen Klopp came knocking on the door, you're upgrading and all of a sudden it puts you in a different bracket of expectation level because of the manager that's in place. Nothing else. Do you know what I mean? It's obviously you get players that you sign in, etc. But all of a sudden, Liverpool fans felt that they belonged in that place now. You feel that you belong in a place that can compete for titles, compete for the biggest trophies. And that's where I think England are. I don't know who that manager is. That's another debate. Yeah, that's like, hard, isn't it? But it, is but it is a good point. Like you say, if Pep Guardiola was there, he'd be there to win it. Yeah. He'd, he'd probably be be planning what he's doing in the final mm. while they're still in the group stage. Whereas yeah. Gareth Southgate is probably one game at a time. We're, yeah. we're, we're England. We're just trying to do our best. Um, yeah, exactly. Like that. That's the message. You can see the tone. Like wherever we, wherever England finishes, oh, we're dead proud. We've been brilliant. This and that. And he keeps that positive vibe. It's the soul shark trait again, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I was wondering when we were going to get there. <laughs> Positive vibes. Ollie Gunnar Southgate. Ollie Gunnar Southgate, mate. Done well, but if, if England want more, they have to get a manager that demands more from everything. Not just the team, the FA, and getting everyone on board. Like, but if in, like I said, if England feels they're going in the right direction and they think Southgate is going to win a tournament in the next couple of tournaments then they should keep him. Do you know what I mean? But they've got to apply that pressure to him. They've got to say, in the next Euros or World Cup, we want the trophy now. Do you know what I mean? You've been here, you've had you've had six years, you've come close, now it's time to deliver and he's got to expect that pressure. So Pep Guardiola would demand that they bring the World Cup home, whereas Gareth Southgate demands they bring home Dave the Cat. Did you see that? <laughs> <laughs> I did see that in the press conference. When you compare it to all the other teams that... That that believe they should be winning it. Like even the Netherlands, they don't win the tournament, 
But most of the time, the manager leaves if, if they don't cut it. The Brazil manager's left, the Spanish manager's left. They all just walk out because they're just like, I've prepared for years for this occasion and I've not been good enough, I'm gone. Do you know what I mean? Somebody else can do it because I've not been good enough, I don't deserve to be here. And that's the mentality these countries see. It's not a personal thing, it's elite level sport. Do you know what yeah, I mean? And absolutely. Like, like we can't just keep hanging on to managers through sentiment. As horrible as it is, it's a job where you, you, we're meant to be winning. Do you know what I mean? That's the main thing that counts, especially in international football. And as you say, uh, Gareth Southgate kind of, kind of fell into the England role, didn't he? The, the England hot seat yeah. w- without the CV. So if he if he walks, he's not walking into the same kind of job that Luis Enrique is or Louis van Gaal, unless van Gaal is retiring now. I'm not sure what he's doing. Um, so yeah, he's he's not going to walk easy, is he? Um, and no. go and take take over at Middlesbrough again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they've been, they've been, they've been talking actually on Talksport and having polls and stuff like that, saying um, would Southgate man could he manage a top six team in the Premier League? Um, Never. Can't see it. Who would give him I mean, the opportunity? Mills, exactly, Danny Mills was. Um, like in a, in a staunch defence of him saying that there are man managers and there are tactical managers and he and he basically said that Sir Alex Ferguson was a rubbish coach but he was an excellent man manager and he was saying Southgate's of a similar ilk. Danny Mills? Uh, yeah, Danny Mills was saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Straight <laughs> up disrespect. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Disrespect me. So. I'm surprised you went ferociously I, tweeting Danny I Mills. Was me. I was like, what are you the great uh, coach's coach Danny Mills <laughs> oh dear so yeah so that's it for another four years or another two years for tournament football um, England who knows what's going to happen from here the likes of uh, Jordan Henderson might retire now you don't know he said he's not exactly. I'm at, yeah I mean last point on that because Gary Neville said after post-match was like oh well, I want Gareth Southgate to 100% be at the next Euros, definitely. Even beyond that, he was like saying at the World Cup. So that's another four years. But if you put four years into context of this team, how many of these players are actually going to be involved? Like, you take all the back line out for a start. Do you know what I mean? Shaw, Maguire, Stones, maybe Stones, Walker, certainly, Hendo. All five of them aren't going to be at the next World Cup. Then you've got Harry Kane. He's probably not going to be at the World Cup. So you leave Saka, Foden, Bellingham, them three, Pickford, I don't know, and then Rashford, I don't know, because Rashford's probably going to be 30 by then. So Declan Rice, Reese James, Trent Arnold. Um, yeah, but, well, yeah. yeah, you would think Rice and James, definitely. Trent's not getting a squeeze. How old's Trent now? He's still 23, isn't he? 23, yeah. Yeah, Um so, it depends on form, so it's the it's the fashion to mention Jude Bellingham in every single podcast, yeah, of every club. So we've got to give him a mention. The guy is on another level. I keep saying it. I keep banging on. You must be bored of me, but he's nineteen years old. When you think yeah. of a Harvey Elliott or a Fabio Carvalho or a, who's that lad Garnacho, you think of nineteen year olds. You think they're kids. Bed them in. He's England's best player. He's he's the, the strongest. He's the tallest. He's mm. he's the conductor. He's dictating all the players. He's yeah. he's 
phenomenon. And Indeed. Liverpool are so heavily linked with him that I have convinced myself we're signing him now. I'm, I'm convinced. I am convinced there's a, a top secret deal that's been done. That's why he's so friendly with Henderson and Trent Arnold. He knows he's coming to Liverpool. The price has been set. The contract's been signed. For some reason, it's top secret not to be public knowledge until maybe April, May, towards the end of the season. I've convinced myself it's a done deal. If he goes to Real Madrid now or even Man City, I'm going to be absolutely beside myself. He will revolutionise any squad in world football. There's literally no team in world football he couldn't get in and play. Like, literally. Like, Real Madrid is a threat because you've got Modric and Cruz who are, like, plus 30s. And I know they've signed Camavinga and Tuameni. That That's there, too. But you could see him in a midfield three with them. You could oh, see him God, in yeah. Man City's team. You could see him in Man City's team. You could see him in Liverpool's team. The um, thing is, surely it... When he's rocking it at 17, 18, and now 19, surely there's a danger he's bent out by 30. He just looks like he could play forever, though. Like like you said, I mean, he's got everything, though. Like, he can sit and just pass it if he wants. He can go box to box. He can go beyond the strikers. He can play off the left. And, like, playing off the left, it doesn't, like, harm his game. I think... It takes away from the team a little bit because you want him in and around the box, doing making things happen and things like that. But even off the left, he, he can play link play little one twos and that. He's literally got everything, and he's going to go for a hundred million plus. And, 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 oh, and at least justified, it's justified. I think he's he could be like Steven Gerrard. He he could play anywhere, like you say, the left, the centre. He could play right back. And I yeah. honestly think he'd be the best right back in the league, like Steven yeah. Gerrard sometimes would. I, I yeah. really rate him that highly. Um, but yeah. you know, one of the best things about it, he seems a genuinely nice guy with a grounded family. Okay. Like that Garnacho. Garnacho yeah. seems a little twat already. <laughs> <laughs> but Bellingham like, seems a real nice guy. I know, like, even when he scored, it just, like, didn't phase him, did it? It's just, like, in the interview, it's just like, oh, it's just nice to get a goal, but it's about the team. And it's just business. Just everything's just straight business to him, doesn't it? He's on there. He's on the pitch to win. He's such a natural-born winner. And he would die for the cause, you know what I mean? Like, you could see how much it hurt him after the game, after England exited the tournament. But he'll be back, do you know what I mean? He, he, He just, you can just see, like, he's just itching to just play and... Like you said, he's been fantastic for Dortmund. Obviously, he was linking up with Haaland and the likes of Jadon Sancho and stuff for years at such a young age. But it's definitely time for him to move on from the Bundesliga. And that's no disrespect to the Bundesliga. I think it would be magnificent to see him in the Premier League. It really would, whether he goes to Liverpool, City. How hurt will you be if he signs for Liverpool? I'll be massively hurt. Huge. (laughs) Massively hurt. He's not going to come to United. Not Just... It depends, like, if we sneak top four, we've got half a chance, but I just can't see it. Like, the money we would have to pay and, and everything. And in terms of the project, it, it would be a staple part of it. Do you know what I mean? Casemiro, Bellingham, you could see it as part of a little midfield duo, which would go really, really well. But he's going to have multiple offers. He, he's he probably at a stage where he probably thinks, I can win titles now. Do you know what I mean? He can win leagues and Champions Leagues. He's played in the Champions League, he's had a taste of that. And if City or Liverpool come knocking, do you know what I mean? It's hard to look elsewhere, really, apart from Real Madrid. 
But the thing is with Liverpool is, like you say, he's going to want to come and win titles and Champions Leagues. With the Liverpool, they're going to have to convince him, surely. Hmm. They're going to have to sell a bit more of a project than what they're showing now. Like He's not going to anchor a midfield with Harvey Elliott and Fabio Carvalho, is he? No, no. I'm obviously good. heading towards we're going to do the double signing of Bellingham and Declan Rice, but that'd be in excess of 200 million. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's a lot of outlay, a lot of outlay. Yeah. And and the thing is, like you said, um, it's, it's pivotal times for Liverpool and United, especially with the ownership and the direction that both clubs are going in. That's going to be part of Bellingham's choice as well. He's going to want to know what direction the club's going in. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It, they're going to be, like you said, £150 million a season spent on this team to really compete at the highest level. Because like you said, he's going to have the pick. PSG's owners already come out and said they, they're willing to spend absolutely every penny to get Bellingham. They, they'll throw anything at him, do you know what I mean? And they've got infinite funds. See, that that's the a... thing. For, for mm. Liverpool to even be in the mix and in the discussion, surely we're throwing like Salah money at him. You're going to come in on the top as the top earner, surely to God. We're not going to try and get him on the cheap. Like, no. here's 150k a week. Prove yourself, and then in two years we'll put you on. Th- that's not going to no, happen, no. is it? So, for us to be in the discussion, we must be throwing the kitchen sink at him. His agent won't allow that. Like, you think he's been the best player at the World Cup along with Griezmann. He's coming towards the end of his contract at Dortmund, and he's going to have every single club knocking. So why would he go to a project where he's going to have to build? He's going to go straight into a team and start winning stuff instantly. Do you know what I mean? But the, the thing, is, the thing is, his agent is his dad, isn't he? Mm. So there might be a, an element of naivety there. Uh, mm. Maybe his dad's a Liverpool fan. I'm sure Bellingham is a Liverpool fan. Um, what um, that? What's that? What makes you think that? He's a Liverpool fan. Oh, is he? Yeah, as far as I've heard, yeah. Steven Gerrard's his idol. Um, and apparently we've been courting him for a good five years. We were in the mix before he went to Dortmund. I think we tried to sign him on the cheap before he signed a professional contract with Birmingham. Um, And he's also got a younger brother that we're courting as well. He's at Birmingham now. Yeah, and apparently the rumours are that he's better than Jude Bellingham. So you never know. That might be part of the deal. Look, we're we're signing your brother on um, his first professional contract, basically poaching him. You never know, and it might be like, and your brother's coming, Jude's coming, and I don't know. I it's all ifs and buts. I think it's all ifs and buts. United, mate. I think his brother in the United midfield now, mate. Not yeah. even seen him play, but I know he's <laughs> not even seen him, but yeah. His DNA is good for me. Sign him up. <laughs> what scares me, though, is that Harlem City link up. Does he want that again? Do you know what I mean? That is the scary thing. Playing on the pet, linking up with Harland again. They've got like Gundogan getting to an age now, KDB getting to that age. They they might just think, right, he's the next one in line to just keep that carousel of talent going. Do you know what I mean? They've got Rodri Bellingham. Do you know what I mean? It's just that 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 there just worries me a little bit. But you don't you don't know how close he was with Haaland, though, do you? I mean, obviously he's never went for moonlit walks with Haaland like he has with Trent Arnold in Qatar, is he? <laughs> they look like a right couple getting a selfie together. <laughs> Oh, good work, uh, Agent oh, Alexander-Arnold. Um, <laughs> we're just going to end on these rumours. Have you heard these rumours about Enzo Fernandez, Argentina? Not before you told me, to be fair. He's had a good tournament there, and he's a good player. Yeah. Young lad, first onto the scene. He's really, really stood out um, for Argentina. He's been one of their better players. So they've uh, obviously 
bought him with some of the Nunes money. They bought him from River Plate for 10 million euros with 8 millions to be added on performance um, related. And you, Premier League gets shafted on. Well, this days. is it. This is what I'm trying to say. Like, why did weren't we buying him for 10 million euros? Like, what is our <laughs> scouting network doing? Because maybe that's why a couple of the scouting network have left because there would have been discussions about Bellingham going to Dortmund two years ago. Someone has dropped a bollock there. They must have. They must have said, look, we could have had him for 25 million there. We didn't fight hard enough. We didn't scout him early enough. We didn't convince him. And now it's going to cost us in excess of 100 million. Now Mm. we're linked with this Enzo Fernandez. We could have had him for 10 million euros. And now we're buying him as the finished article. We'll be probably 60 70 million euros now um and it's always the same it was the same with allison all these rumors that we courted him and it wasn't right timing work permit why are we waiting until they're the finished article and spending 60 70 million on them the only thing i can think of is like the premier league so unique from like a physical standpoint do you know i mean that these players they go to all the leagues to sort of become men play against men like the Premier League is very unforgiving, like in terms of the time you get to settle. Do you know what I mean? Like before Bellingham went to Dortmund, if he just blasted straight into that Liverpool team at 16 and he's getting roughed up and thrown about and people say he's a flop, um, that's just not what you want. Do you know what I mean? So he's had a perfect transition and that's where advisors and agents, they're meant to be doing their job and they're meant to be advising the best players sort of move at the time. So in hindsight, like you said, getting Bellingham here at a younger age would have been nice, but would he have been the player he is now from a physical, from a mental aspect, getting Champions League experience under his belt without that sort of pressure on him, now he's ready for that step, goes into a Liverpool and you know you're buying somebody that's ready. So like you said, you take the hit on the money because you know somebody's going to come in and sort of deliver instant results. And I, as much as I hate to say it, like Liverpool would be a good move for Jude Bellingham. Do you know what I mean? I think if he goes to a Liverpool or a City, especially, I'd love him at United, but I just don't think we're going to be able to match his sort of personal ambitions in terms of winning titles. There's no guarantee we're going to win a title within the next three to four years. I'd like to think so, and I think we are moving in the right direction. But I think he's going to be more guaranteed of that success at, say, a Liverpool, certainly a City and a Real Madrid. I can't see Chelsea being in the hunt for him. No, I, um, I can't see them being in the hunt. Certainly not Spurs, and I think any and PSG are the only other club outside of those top three clubs that I've mentioned that could probably afford him. Uh, I can see Declan Rice going to Chelsea, myself, London boy, and all that. But would they want to spend the big money to bring him back? As we mentioned in a previous stream, a huge summer ahead. I mean, Uncle oh, massive, more isn't it? Yeah, he's on more or less pre-agreed. Um, or even a big a big January. Remember, we've got the January transfer window coming up. Um, mm. It is a bit of a trend to sign players after a big tournament like the World Cup or the Euros. So the World Cup is in December. So the January window could see some the of the moves. The have again, aren't they? <laughs> it's good work, mate. Honestly, yeah. I've seen a few links to players and stuff. Like you said, they're gonna they're gonna be very busy in January. Like you said, the, the Premier League's nearly back and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it's going to be a busy, busy January as well. You're right. We're going to be back with more podcasts, more streams, especially when Liverpool and Man United are 
playing again more regularly. And we'll be talking about transfer news, ins and outs, injuries and everything else that comes with it. Travis, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. Um, if anyone's made it this far, please remember to like and subscribe. It only takes a second. Hit that button down there. Okay, cheers, Trav. I'll see you on the next one. Thank you, mate. Cheers, guys.